Well, I hope by the end of this year we'll all know that the theme that we've been working through all year has been intentional, intentional which is a reference to deliberate actions, not doing things by accident, deliberate actions for a purpose, to a plan, and step by step. And last week, when Adrian was talking about this, he talked about the importance of being in alignment. So, what we're referring to here is, have I got my horizontals level? Have I got my verticals plumb? Have I got my edges straight? You put it all together, is the result of whatever it is I'm being intentional about true to plan. You hear that expression, don't you? Is it true to plan? So when we're talking about the sorts of things that we talk about on a Sunday morning in church, and we're talking about being intentional, and we're talking about being true to plan, where do we go to see whether what we're doing is true to plan? The blueprint which is the Word of God. So if we want to check whether the things that we are doing are in alignment with the plan, we need to go to the Word of God. And if we are going to go and look in the Word of God to check that what we're doing is in alignment with God's plan, where should we go? Where should we start? Let's start at the very beginning. And why would we start at the very beginning? Why would we start there? It's a very good place to start. All right. Thanks, Robin. Uh, Maxine. Thanks, Maxine. And Robin. <coughs> so, we're going to have a look this morning at the book of Genesis. And particularly at the first three chapters. Now, I cannot hope to pass on to you everything that there is to learn from the book of Genesis. It is an amazing book, absolutely amazing, and I could talk to you about it all day and still have more to tell you tomorrow, and I promise I'm not going to do that. But what I would like what I would like is for each of you to become excited about the prospect of reading this book again and again and again. Being intentional about learning more about God's plan because it all starts back in Genesis. Genesis is absolutely foundational to understanding what God's plan is. And we're going to have a look at that. But first, where am I? Anyone know? The Batman Bridge. Who's driven over it? Who, who doesn't know what I'm talking about? Anybody? There's a few people who actually don't know. This is a bridge in Tasmania. It's across the Tamar River. And it's an extraordinary bridge. Because that, that span from here to here is 206 metres and it's all supported 
by these wires. It's, it's an amazing design, so that it's as if the bridge is sort of perched on one side, on one bank, and just reaching across, reaching across the river. It's, it's actually very beautiful to see. I don't, does anyone agree with me? It's a beautiful bridge. It's one of very few in the world that's designed like this. And it's designed like this because there's some really good rock on the west bank, I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, have I got that right? I'm pretty sure I have. On the west bank. And on the east bank is pretty poor geology for, you know, putting foundations in that have got to support hundreds of tons of stuff. So, and the river is up to 40 metres deep in that spot. And there's an incredible tidal flow, two and a half metres per second, 206 metres wide, 40, up to 40 metres deep. That is a huge volume of water. And you simply could not put piers in the middle of the bridge, uh, middle of the river, to support the bridge, the way the Tasman Bridge, for example, has got piers at regular intervals across. So this is an extraordinary bridge. Now, that part of this bridge is very, very important, isn't it? Everything else this bridge does depends on the foundations there being solid. And if we think about what we believe about God, and we think about what the devil is trying to do, where is he going to attack? You think about the world and what the world says about what we believe. The biggest issues the world has with what we believe are about the things that happen in Genesis 1, 2 and 3. The foundations of our faith. It's a critical part of Scripture. Now, the other things that people in the world and the devil have issues with are the fact of Jesus' resurrection. You know, that gets a hammering in the big wide world of people who don't want to believe in God. And the stuff that happens in the last few chapters of Revelation, when it all comes together, you know, and the devil is trying to undermine people's ability to believe in the first three chapters of Genesis, in particular, the resurrection of Jesus, in particular, and the last few books of Revelation, where he gets his just desserts. So this is one of those three critical parts of the Bible, and it's absolutely foundational. Now, mankind, generally, is fascinated by how the world came to be, and how we came to be. Think of all the nature programs that you've seen on television over the last 20 years, you know, and all the information that's presented and how excited people get about piecing all the bits together and explaining how this came to be this particular way and all that sort of stuff. It's all about how and man's desire to understand how things came to be. And if you, if you come up with a theory that can explain 99% of how things happened, but there's a 1% you just can't nail down yet, what are you going to spend the rest of your life doing? Trying to find the answer to that little 1% that you haven't understood yet. Because how is so important. I need to know 
how it all fits, how it came to be, how I came to be here. Now, all of that, that focus on how arises because people are ignoring or don't want to think about who, who did it. Now, from my perspective, I believe that the who is God. God did it. And that's what Genesis 1, 2, and 3, that all the foundations for knowing that God did it are laid down in those first three books of the Bible. Now, if I believe that God did it, and one way or the other I've come to understand 99% of how it all fits together because I studied ecology and I studied biology and I studied botany and I studied zoology and I've studied history and you know I've got a pretty good understanding perhaps of how all these things fitted together but there's still one percent that I don't understand. If I believe in God I am perfectly happy to leave that one percent unexplained. It's a mystery to me. You know, I can't hope to understand everything that God is. And I don't need to understand. Because I believe in God, and I believe that there are mysteries about God that He understands, that I will never understand this side of heaven. And I am comfortable with that. I don't feel that I've got to chase that last little 1% down a rabbit hole and try and work out what it is and what it means and why, why, why. I don't. But that's because I choose to believe in God. And I read the Scriptures having made that choice and it all fits together. The things I need to know about where I come from and why I'm here and why you're here and all the stuff about this amazing world that we lives in, live, live, we live in. <laughs> That's going to come up again in a minute. The amazing world that we live in, it's all explained to my satisfaction in the scriptures. And I'm very happy to leave some mysteries out there. You know, something that I'll learn about. We'll celebrate learning the answers to those little unknown bits when we're together in heaven one day. The world is a staggeringly beautiful, absolutely inspiring place. And the power that it, it is evident here on earth is just incredible. Incredible. The universe is just awesome. So I, I, I heard someone on TV the other day, if you took a grain of rice in your fingers and held it at arm's length, they did this with the Hubble telescope. They looked at a piece of the sky that is equivalent in area to the amount of sky that would be blocked out by a grain of rice held at arm's length. And they trained the Hubble telescope on that tiny little fraction of the sky and, and um, made an image of what was visible to the Hubble telescope in that little tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of the sky, 10,000 galaxies. It's just awesome and the wonder of life. 
So knowing that God is responsible for all those things means that I, I don't have to know all the how. How, 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 how. I don't have to know. How could there possibly be 10,000 galaxies in that little window in the sky? And, and how many more must there be? <laughs> I don't need to know. I can just be amazed by it and, and praise God for what he's done. So, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 starts with these words in Hebrew. Bereshat bara Elohim. Three words, which we translate in English as in the beginning God created. Five words in English. And even in those first five words of the scriptures, three words in Hebrew, we can learn some amazing things about God. He is the creator. Those first five words tell us that God is the creator. They tell us that God predates the beginning. He always was. You know, it's not like he created and then he created himself at the same time. He was already present. So God predates creation. He's eternal. Just those few words tell us that. What he did create was created from nothing. The word bara is a word that means to create something from nothing. And it's only used three times in Genesis. It's used here when God created matter from nothing. Uh, it's used when he creates life from inanimate things. And it's used when he creates man with a conscience, man, knowing, man that can know God as distinct from all the animals that, have, that are instinctive. Bara, bara, bara. And everywhere else that it talks about things being created by God, it uses a word that means to create something from something else. So this bara, bereshait bara Elohim. The next thing we learn is that God is singular. Now, you know, when we, when we use our language, I might say of Robin playing with some Lego, she creates a model. She, singular, creates a model out of Lego. So that's a singular form of the verb, creates. She. And um, the DeWeiss family might also be playing with Lego and they create a model. See the difference? A plural noun, they, and a plural verb, create. She creates, they create. Now, often in our language, I swim, you swim, they swim, we don't get that difference. But there's an example where we do. And in this verse, we get exactly that difference. Bara Elohim. Elohim is a plural noun, like they. But bara is a singular verb. And it shows us that in the doing of creation, God acted as a single God, but the God that we're talking about has a plural nature. And we think of three in one, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there it is, in those first few words of Genesis, we get that picture of a, what we call a triune God. One God, three persons. There it is. 
What he did, he did as a singular God, but he has multiple persons with him, Elohim. Three words in Hebrew, and there's five really important things about who God is, just from those three words. And Genesis is like that. What happened? In Genesis 2, I oh, just, sorry, I did, I want to make one more point about that. Um, you can't read that, but that's Genesis chapter 1. And all the bits in red are where it refers to Elohim, to God. He's all over it. You know, 31 verses, I think there's 35 references to Elohim, this God creating. You know, it's, it's kind of a facet, it's just saturated with this picture of who God is and what he was up to. It's terrific. Okay, so in chapter 2, God is called Yahweh. We just sang about it. And Yahweh is a word that that's, has a sense of Lord God. It starts to talk about the relationship between man and God. The God that is referred to as Elohim in chapter 1 is referred to as Yahweh in chapter 2. My Lord God. There's a relationship between man and God that is established and described in chapter 2 of Genesis. Yahweh. Now, here are some of the things that we learn about God in Genesis 1 alone. Those first 31 verses. He is a personal God. He is a powerful God. He is an eternal God. He is a creative God. He is an orderly God. He is both singular and plural, our God. He is good. He is living. He is a communicator. He is both like us and unlike us. And he's independent of creation. God created. He's independent. It's not that God is part of creation, you know, that it just sort of all formed somehow together. God is independent of creation. All of that, and those are really important things for us to understand. All of it is in Genesis chapter 1. Furthermore, every other belief system on the planet there they all are these belief systems these isms are the basis of every other world religion one or other of them every single one of them is refuted by Genesis 1 Now, is that important? <laughs> and we look and we hear all this New Age stuff and we hear about the rise of Islam and, and there's this thing about Judaism and Christianity and the connections between them and what, what traditional Jews believe and there's Hinduism and there's all the atheists and agnosticists and you know, all these isms and ists and things all around the world in our society pounding us with stuff all the time. Read the headlines of the Mercury yesterday, for an example, you know, from an atheist. It's everywhere. 
And every single one, every single one of those isms is refuted by Genesis 1. All sorts of questions that we might ask ourselves about the human condition. Look at these three. I'm sure we've each... No. Many of us have asked the first question. I have. Many of us have asked the second question. All of these questions are answered in Genesis 3. Big questions. And the answer's in the first three chapters of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3. The pathway to sin, first doubt, is God really who he says he is? Does he really expect me to do this? Maybe not. Wow, this, <laughs> this looks pretty good desire. Now, there's nothing wrong with me having a sip of this water, but I'm illustrating a point, as you can see. And then disobedience. A very simple formula that goes from right living with God to sin. Genesis 3. It's all set out there. And this is important stuff too. We need to understand how it is it that we fall into sin. And if we know this pathway and we start to feel doubt about something, we can deal with the doubt. You know, we can, we can work through the doubt we're starting to feel before we get to that point of feeling tempted. And, before, and, and I start to feel temptation. I think, whoa, hang on a minute. I know where this is going. I'm feeling it, but I know it's not right. I understand what's happening here because I've read Genesis 3 and I know this pathway. I'm starting to feel this desire and I can kick into another gear and think, right, I know what's going on here and I don't want to take the next step and I can deal with the desire in whatever way. I won't go into any details. But stop short of disobedience. Because of what we learn from Genesis chapter 3. These three chapters are foundational to what we believe. You know, they are the concrete piers in the rock on the edge of the river, which enables the whole structure to get us from one side to the other. Absolutely foundational. And you can tell, I'm excited about this. I, I love reading Genesis. I love it. Doesn't mean I don't read the rest of the Bible as well, but January 1st every year, I'll sit down and read Genesis 1 to 3. And the next day, I'll read Genesis 4, 5, and 6. And on the 3rd of January, I'll read Genesis 7, 8, and 9. I do it every year. And I work through the Bible, three chapters a day, every day of the year. And I've been doing it, I don't know, probably not quite 20 years, certainly 15 years. Now, I wish I'd started doing it when I was an 18-year-old, when I first came to the Lord. I wish I had. And I want to encourage all of you to pick up that challenge. It's not that hard to do. I get up in the morning, I go into the kitchen, I make myself a cup of tea, I take it into the sitting room, and I sit down in a comfy chair in the sun, 
And while I'm drinking my tea, I read three chapters of the Bible every morning. It takes about 10 minutes, and then I reflect. And, you know, I might read a couple of other things and have a bit of time praying. Mary and I usually do it together. But that's how I fit into my day reading three chapters of the Scriptures. Three chapters a day in the year, you've been through the whole book. And then I just turn back to begin, and I go again. Year in, year out. Now, I'm not saying you all have to be like me, but I am saying it's important if we want to be in alignment with God's plan for our life to get familiar with the blueprint. And the blueprint is His Word. Now, I'm going to talk about broccoli for a minute. The first three chapters of Genesis set out how God wanted things to be, the kind of relationship he wanted to have with us and the way in which we blew it. And the rest of Genesis, plus all of the other 65 books of the Bible, are spelling out God's plan for restoring everything to what it should have been at the beginning. That's a really simple way of understanding the Bible and in particular what Genesis 1, 2 and 3 are all about. Now, I said I was going to talk about broccoli. Why would anyone want to talk about broccoli? Well, you have a look at this. This is an amazing part of God's creation. Amazing. Can you see a pattern there? Anyone see any patterns? What can you see? A spiral? Yeah. Now, look at this. Whoops. This thing jumps around too much. Have a look at just see the red square. That is just one part of that broccoli. And that's that part blown up. What can you see? The same pattern. The same pattern when you look at it at a smaller scale. Now you know, if I select just one frame of that already blown up image, you'll get exactly the same pattern again. Now I won't do it because I'm losing quality and it's getting a bit blurry. But the point is that with this particular broccoli, at every scale that you look at it, the same pattern is repeated. It's amazing. And you'll actually see that in the natural world in all sorts of places. This is how God created the world, with patterns. Now, the scriptures are riddled with patterns like this. Something that you read about in Genesis, you'll see the same pattern emerge elsewhere in the scriptures. Now a really good example is the whole thing about sin and the shedding of blood, a sacrifice as atonement for the sin. That just comes up, that pattern is repeated over and over and over again in the scriptures in all sorts of different sort of shapes and permutations, but it's a pattern that is as recognisable as the spiral pattern we see as we look at the broccoli at different scales. And that's one of the really good things about reading Genesis because all these patterns are laid down and established. Their foundations are in Genesis. And if we know Genesis well and we start reading the rest of the scriptures, we, start, we see a pattern here and we think, oh, that I recognise that pattern and I know what's going to happen next because I'm familiar with the pattern. 
all the way back. I'm not, I haven't got time to sort of expand all of this as much as I would like to, but having read through the scriptures as frequently as I had, I've just seen these things over and over and over again. Here are some of the patterns that are established in Genesis that we see played out over and over and over again through the rest of the scriptures. The creator and the origin of all things, man's encounters with God, Adam and Eve, Abraham, Jacob, people that spoke face to face with God, disobedience and punishment and what that's all about. Laid down in Genesis, repeated over and over and again throughout scriptures. Obedience and blessing, sin and sacrifice, greed, ambition and the perversion of mankind. You know the things Paul writes about in Romans? You know he talks about the world being given over to sin and he lists all these terrible... They're all in Genesis. Giving and receiving... The whole thing about God's chosen people and the fact that they'll be a blessing to all the nations. Genesis. Principles of godly leadership. Genesis. Inheritance. The whole idea about inheritance and children of promise. Genesis. It's all in Genesis. God's marvelous and mysterious plans. Genesis. You know, Abraham asked to sacrifice his son Isaac. God's got a plan. Abraham doesn't know what the plan, but he's obediently following what God's asked him to do. And it's not till the 11th hour, you know, that moment, the the knife's raised, then God reveals the plan. But God's always got a plan. Joseph, you know, dragged off into Egypt by the traders, sold into slavery by his brothers, well, how's this going to turn out? You know, even before that, in, in, in the well with the cover on top, how's this going to work out for Joseph? God had a plan. God had a plan. It's all in Genesis. And that's, that, actually, that particular story is where Genesis ends, and it's picked up again 400 years later by Moses in the book of Exodus. The other thing is there's all these pointers to who Jesus is. You know, some of them I've already mentioned. But in Genesis, we start to learn all this stuff about Jesus. Jesus is described as a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Where does that come from? Genesis. All the promises of God. You know, your descendants will be more numerous than the sand on the shore. Your descendants will be a blessing to all the nations. God speaking to Abraham. I will be with you always. You know, we, we know about these promises. They're important to us. Especially, I will be with you always. A promise from God to you in Genesis I won't go on about this, but everything in the Old Testament is played out in this crescent, the fertile crescent, you know? So, uh, lost, lost my pointer. Abraham, 
comes from Ur, near Babylon, on the right-hand side, travels to Canaan, which is just to the left of the center. Um, and in Genesis, you know, by the time of Joseph and Jacob, everyone's living in Egypt. So from one side of that crescent to the other. And all of the Old Testament and all of Genesis is lived out in that crescent. Mm-hmm. Um, every single writer in the New Testament, they're listed up there, every single one of them refers to Genesis in some way. Jesus refers to Genesis. I mean, this is incredible. Genesis was written, written for the first time 1,500 years before Jesus was on earth. And the stories that were written in Genesis were actually oral traditions that had been told from father to son, mother to daughter for hundreds of years before. And yet Jesus knew them. Think about that for a minute. I mean, I think that's incredible. Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and 5. Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. That's Jesus speaking from Genesis. Chapter 23, verse 35. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah. Abel, shed blood, Genesis. This is Jesus talking again. Chapter 24, verses 37 to 39. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus, referring to Genesis, chapter 6 to 8. Now, I haven't read Genesis and worked all this out myself. I've had some help. And, and you, if you just read it, you might not uncover some of the things that, that I've uncovered this morning, like Bereshit Bara Elohim and what that means. I have learned a huge amount by reading this book, which is by David Pawson. It's called Unlocking the Bible, and it goes through chapter by chapter, sorry, book by book in the Bible. The chapters in here, there's one chapter for each book in the Bible, and it tells you what that book of the Bible is all about. What's the context? What was going on? Who wrote it? How was it pieced together? Why is it in the Bible? Why is it important? And what does it show us about who Jesus is? It's very methodical, it's very easy to read, and, and you learn so much from reading it. It just adds so much richness and meaning to the reading of the Gospel. So I, I'm just suggesting that some of you that are interested in understanding better what's in the Scriptures, this is one way of improving your understanding. Um, now, if you're quick, you can borrow this from me today. Read the first... 80 or 90 pages, which is all about Genesis. If you like what you read, go and get your own copy and give it back to me. All right? But this is just a tool that I have used to better understand the Scriptures. And some of the things I've shared with you this morning have come from the fact that I've read this, read the Scriptures, and worked out what makes sense for me from those things. I'll tell you something. I love this. This is a little tidbit. The name Methuselah, who was Methuselah? The oldest man to ever live. Does anyone remember how long he lived for? 
969 years. And Methuselah means when he dies, it will happen. When, that's what his name means. Like, my name's Michael. When I die, it will happen. Methuselah means when I die, it will happen. Now, what happened the year that Methuselah died? The flood of Noah. Now, God, God, you know, I don't think he wanted this to happen, but it was the only way of dealing with the situation that had arisen, was the flood, and we know all about the flood. Basically, when Methuselah was born, he was given this name, when he dies, it will happen. And God allowed Methuselah to live for 969 years, 